Hello and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a country music legend on the podcast to talk about her path from country music superstardom to her beloved and Emmy award-winning Food Network series. Plus, we hear what comfort food means to her, and she shares her go-to food spots in Nashville. She is a Grammy award-winning artist, cookbook author, and star of Trisha's Southern Kitchen. It's, of course, Trisha Yearwood. Trisha, welcome to the podcast. And first of all, happy belated birthday. Thank you very much. I know your birthday is September 19th, so that makes you a fellow Virgo. Uh, how much do you identify with your astrological sign? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's all the good and all the bad. <laughs> What's the the main good thing and the, and the main bad thing you identify with? Well, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse to be organized. And it's also a blessing and a curse to kind of be a perfectionist. So yeah. I am definitely one of those people that if I start off my day and something goes wrong, I'm like, oh, day shot. And everything <laughs> has to go perfectly right. But nobody's perfect. So you're you're set yourself up for failure every single day. Um, but I definitely think that those like organized and kind of controlling, controlling is a bad way to say it, but it's just the truth. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm the same way. And uh, I think we're going to get along just fine over the course of this uh, conversation. Well, welcome again to Food Network Obsessed. We are so excited to have you with us. We're going to talk all about your show on the network, of course, Trisha's Southern Kitchen and your brand new cookbook, Trisha's Kitchen, Easy Comfort Food for Friends and Family. But before we dive into all things food related, we of course have to start with the fact that you are a music superstar. You've received countless awards for your work and 30 years ago released She's in Love with the Boy, which hit number one on the Billboard charts and skyrocketed your decades-long career in country music. When you think back to 26-year-old Trisha, what advice would you give her? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you don't have time. <laughs> you know, don't sweat the small stuff, honestly. It's like we worry, especially as girls, I think we worry about so many things that don't end up mattering. And when you're in high school, your 26-year-old self wants to say the things you worried about when you were 16, don't worry about you know, at 57 now, I just turned. I feel so much more comfortable in my skin than I ever have. And I think it's such a gift. You know, you're going to get older, you got wrinkles, so you might as well get some good stuff out of it. You know, that that's the good part for me is that I would just tell myself to really trust my my gut and my instincts. And I really did most of my career, but I, I've made some choices that I probably would go back and change. Most of those are more personal choices than career choices. <laughs> But really just to not to not worry so much about things because everything really does work out the way it's supposed to. Yeah, I think that's great advice for, for anyone. When you think back to growing up and your love, your interest in music, what was the moment when you really decided that's what you wanted to pursue as a career? I mean, I just knew from the time I can remember having a memory, you know, so probably I knew I always say five years old. I just, if you asked me at five, what I was going to do when I grew up, I was like, I'm going to be a singer. I, I think sometimes I said I was going to be Cher <laughs> and I still want to be Cher, of course, but I think, Who doesn't, right, right? We all do. <laughs> but I think I just always, I never felt like I made a choice. I always felt like I was just, I was a singer and I was going to figure out how to do it. And when you're a kid, you know, you don't know how hard things are. I thought, well, that's what I want to be. So that's what I'm going to be. And I, I'm lucky that I was never smart enough to know how hard it was really going to be. Cause when I moved to town, <laughs> I was 19 and I thought, well, everybody, somebody's got to get played on the radio. Why can't it be me? 
And I think that it was a blessing to not know the rate of failure or whatever it is in this town. It's pretty high. And I I do believe it's what I was supposed to do. I mean, confidence is a a Virgo trait as well, right? (laughs) It is. (laughs) (laughs) So no backup plan. You you just knew that that was what you're going to do. And there was you're not going to take no for an answer. Correct. And I did finish college because my parents were not going to take no for an answer on college. But I, and it was really actually great because I found a place in Nashville that I could finish my degree, be in the town that was making the music I wanted to make. And it was a great transition to get me here. I got to live in the dorm. So I wasn't like waiting tables and trying to pay, pay bills in an apartment. I got to live in the dorm, finish school and work on singing. What is your creative process like when it comes to your music? It's a very gut-based thing. I grew up on one of my biggest musical influences is Linda Ronstadt. And that led me to Emmylou Harris and Bonnie Raitt. And I think it's so emotionally driven by a song meaning something to me. So I'd like to tell people that I like songs for the same reason you like songs. You know, sometimes you'll hear a song that you just can't get out of your head and you don't know why. Sometimes you hear a song and you're like, I feel like someone's spying on me because this is my life. And those are all the reasons I record songs. I try to please myself first when it comes to those songs because I have to love them. And then if I sing those songs like I believe them, then hopefully you will get something out of it too. So it's a really organic process. It's very subjective. And you never know. Anybody who tells you, we knew this was a hit when we recorded it, they don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny that you say that about not not being able to get a song out of your head because as I was prepping for this interview, like all morning long, I'm just singing, she's in love with the boy, (laughs) like in, in my head. And I hadn't... You know, I hadn't heard that song in a long time and it just, you know, immediately came back. It kind of took me back to growing up in Montana, riding in the truck with my dad, listening, you know, to the country music station. You were on there a lot. Obviously, your husband was on there a lot, too. But looking back over the course of your career, do you have like pinch me moments that that really stand out to you? Yeah, I do a lot. You know, there was a a song that I recorded called Wrong Side of Memphis. And there's a lyric in that song about having this dream from a tender age, uh, seeing myself on the Opry stage. And the first time I played the Opry, you know, because I had seen myself on that stage in my mind since I was a little kid, that was definitely a pinch me moment. And then I think some things that I got to do that were never on the list. Like you knew you wanted to be a singer. You knew you wanted to play the Opry. You knew you hopefully would win an award for female vocalists someday, all that stuff. But like standing on a stage in Italy singing with Pavarotti, like that was not on the list, right? So I'm, I remember standing there having that conversation in my head of the pinch me moment, like make sure you're in this moment because you're going to be able to look back on this and take yourself right there. And if you don't do that, if you don't really make yourself be in the present, you have a memory of it, but it's almost like you're watching somebody else's life. And I think that performance with Pavarotti was when I said to myself, you got to really make sure you're in this moment. And I can, now when I think about it, I can put myself right back there. Would you give that same advice to, you know, other aspiring country music singers or do you have something else that you would advise to them um, as they're looking to come up and make a name for their own selves? Well, now that I've been doing this for a long time, I've gotten a chance to get to know some of the the next generation of chick singers and we're friends. I'm friends with a lot of these girls and, and they do ask me those kinds of questions. And I think what I tell them that I think is the most important thing is to really trust your gut because when you move to town and you're young and you want this so badly for yourself, you tend to think, well, maybe these guys know more than I do. I should listen to what they're saying, even if I don't feel really comfortable about it. But there is that still small voice in you. You know what's right for you and you just need to trust it. And, you know, like somebody telling you what you should look like, what you should sound like, the songs you should sing, what you should dress like, you know what's right for you. And you'll you'll thank yourself later 
for following your your gut. I was lucky that I had that instinct, but I also had good people around me that helped me with those things. And I, I wasn't ever put in a position really of having to make a choice and, and making somebody angry. A couple of times I was. <laughs> That's my best advice, I think, is just to be true to yourself because your name is on the bottom line. Your name's on the records. It's your reputation and your name, no matter what anybody else is telling you to do. That's great. I mentioned your husband, Garth Brooks. You guys have been married since 2005. I I love watching your guys' relationship develop and get even stronger over the years. What does a date night look like for the two of you? And more importantly, what are you guys eating? The first time that I went to Oklahoma to gut like really like for a weekend when we were dating, this is I think when I knew I was going to marry him because I went to see him. He was living in a little cowboy bunkhouse on this piece of this branch. We eventually built a house. I'm like, I love you, but we're going to have to move out of the bunkhouse. <laughs> we were we were watching television and he said, would you like some pizza? And I was like, yeah, I love pizza. So he went in the kitchen. He was gone for a little bit. and He came back in. First of all, they were the frozen two for $5 pizzas. No lie. And he still loves those. But <laughs> he came in with a pizza for him and a pizza for me. And I was like, uh, I love this guy. I, I do. <laughs> I, I really do. Love this guy. But now, now date night is really, it's so easy to be with him. We can eat. It's not, it's not, I need to have a meal on the table at six o'clock. You know, it's really like, do you want to cook tonight? Do you want to go out and get fast food? Do you want to, you know, are we done for the day? We ate at four and we're not hungry. But we have this chair. This sounds so crazy, but we have this chair in our in the middle of this big living room with all these couches. But we have this chair that seats two people, and that's our chair. Like if you come over to my house <laughs> and you want to come visit me, you're not going to sit in our chair because we have to sit. We like to sit next to each other, and just I a blanket that. and a football game. That's the perfect date night for me. Sitting close to each other. I love that. So the first thing he ever cooked for you was frozen pizza. What was the first thing you ever cooked for him? I made him fettuccine Alfredo and it was my sister's recipe. I don't know. I got crazy with the butter and the Parmesan and the cream and it was so heavy. You could barely (laughs) get it on the fork. And then he honestly, this is the honest truth. He fell asleep. Almost in his plate. (laughs) He's the guy who can also fall asleep like that. But I didn't really know that at the time. And I'm like this date night. I'm cooking for him for the first time. It's going to be really nice. And he got up from the table and walked over to a couch and sat down and he was gone. He was out. And I'm like, all right, well, this is a fun date. <laughs> I mean, obviously he liked it. If he, he, he ate did. that much of it and it put him to sleep. Yeah, he, he did. But he said it was, a, he said it's a, it was a little heavy. So I lightened it up. And that was long before the first book. So it's in the first book, but it's not quite as crazy as it was. He does cook a lot, right? He joins you in the kitchen from time to time. He does. And he's got some things. He makes a really good breakfast bowl for my birthday. Actually, I got up and I slept in and he had an entire everything. He had bacon and sausage and biscuits and eggs and everything. The only thing is funny is that he's from Oklahoma. I'm from Georgia. He doesn't cook things that he wouldn't eat. So like I love grits for breakfast. He couldn't make a grit if he had to, like he doesn't understand. (laughs) So I will usually sneak in after he's made this huge spread and make myself a little thing of grits to go with everything. He has a couple of recipes in this book that were inspired by him. One is a breakfast lasagna because he came to me and said, could we, you know, I do a breakfast casserole, but he's like, no, I want a full on lasagna with the noodles and everything. But every, we just replaced everything with breakfast foods. And it came out really, really nice. So I gave him credit for that because he inspired that dish. When you're both cooking, you're jamming out to some music in the kitchen. What's on the playlist? I save like the crazy music that I love, like Prince and Lizzo for poolside. But if I'm <laughs> if I'm in the kitchen, I like soothing music. So I'll play like Sinatra or Dean Martin 
or James Taylor, the Linda Ronstadt channel, you know, so that kind of stuff is what normally is happening in the kitchen when we're cooking. I love the the shallow cover, by the way. What inspired you guys to kind of get back into the recording studio together? We were all in lockdown and the very beginning of the pandemic, everybody was trying to figure out what are we going to like, how long is this going to last and what are we going to do? And we were doing some Facebook lives and we were doing some request shows and just playing music for folks because we felt as pent up as everybody else did. And somebody requested that we do shallow and we did just a little piece of it on this live broadcast. Didn't even have the whole song down at, at all, but I loved the song. And, uh, then, of course, the next live that came up, they're like, do more of Shallow and you should record Shallow. And we're like, it just came out with Bradley Cooper and Gaga. We're not going to go record Shallow. <laughs> and then it just kept at it. And so we thought, let's go record it for fun. We're not going to put it out. We're not going to play it. No one's going to hear it. And we recorded it and we loved how it came out. And so we thought, all right, I'm really glad we did because it's so fun to sing. It's such a great song. I mean, the Gaga part is so fun because you just get to wail. <laughs> So it, it's a really fun song to sing. And we added it on the Every Girl Deluxe album that we just put out just to to have it on my album as well as his. I love that. Garth also wrote an incredibly touching foreword for your brand new cookbook, Trisha's Kitchen, Easy Comfort Food for Friends and Family. It definitely brought you know some tears to my eyes. Apparently, this is your, your most personal cookbook yet. Why is that? And, and what inspired the approach to this particular one? It's interesting because I would have said before this that the first book was probably the most personal because it's kind of like your first album. You know, you you pour everything into it and then you get busy and you go on the road and then the next album you make, you're, put, you're doing it when you're in off the road so it doesn't feel as cohesive. And I guess that's the way this felt because I was home and I was waking up every morning in my house, in my kitchen. It just felt like I got to really focus on that. And because we were because it was just me and my, my sister who lived next door. So we just cooked for our husbands, you know, and we tweak things. And I have a friend named Michelle who was, who works on the show, who is an amazing chef, but understands me, understands that my exotic spices are salt and pepper. And, you know, she understands my style of cooking. So she helped me when I'd go, Hey, we need, we have plenty of appetizers, but we need to add, we need, you know, we got a jam and jelly section this time. We never had that before. Let's figure out, we need an extra sauce. Help me figure out that. Help me, helping me kind of spin some classic recipes into new things. And then Beth and I, my sister, we found a lot of recipes that we thought were lost. There's a recipe in here for something called Jack's Fried Pies. My dad's name was Jack. And he used to always talk about these fried pies that his mother used to make. And we couldn't find the recipe anywhere. Never found it. My mother never could find it. And uh, Beth and I, uncovered this tiny little cookbook of our grandmothers with all handwritten things in there. And we found the fried pies, you know, so it was really cool. And also because I do write the books, I write all the stories, every head note, every, you know, introduction to sit down with the recipes and really think about why does this recipe matter to me? Why, what do I love about it? And why is it important in my family? It was cool to really remember why do I love this and, and to share that with everybody. I love the stories because I, I, I like to read cookbooks like they're regular books. I do gravitate towards the ones that have the story behind it. And it seems like, you know, food in your family was really important growing up. Can you share some of those first memories of food and kind of what you made you fall in love with that aspect of your life? Yeah, I mean, my, I grew up in a fan, in not a big family, but a, but everybody cooked. My dad was a good cook. My mom, my mother's family, she grew up on a big dairy farm in South Georgia, and her mother cooked for everybody that worked on that farm. So it, at lunchtime every day, she would not only work in the field herself, but then she'd come back. And my mom was the daughter. There were two boys and my mom, so she would help her mother prepare the meal for sometimes twenty people. You know, 
and that was all, everything was always homemade and it was always great and always done. My memories of going to visit them were of a big round table with a lot of laughter and always homemade biscuits and always sweet tea. So to me, the food was so intertwined with the memories of just how much fun around the table and the kids would leave and go play, but the adults would sit around the table for hours and just <laughs> chat, you know, and visit. And I found that that's what we did as kids learning from our mom and dad. We would, especially after we got older, we would sit around the table with them long after the meal was finished. And my mom, she did most of the cooking. My dad was the breakfast on the weekends guy and he could grill. And we lived in a very small town. So if there was a fundraiser, Jack would cook the chickens and he would make Brunswick stew. And so it was a thing. So that love of food and intertwined with family has just always been there. And, and now that my folks are both gone, it's really important because it, for me, every time I make something that they made, they're with me. And even the show, the show has been such a wonderful gift for me and my sister to carry their traditions on. And now everybody in the country who watches the show says, oh, I made your mom's blah, 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 or whatever. And now we make it every Thanksgiving. And it makes me feel so good that their food is now in other people's homes. That's so cool. What would your parents think about that? Your mom knowing that people were making her recipe? I think she would be totally thrilled. You know, my dad passed right before we wrote the first book. So we dedicated it to him, but he never got to see us do this thing. My mom was in on the first two books and she's been gone almost 10 years, but she right before the show started. But I mean, I think she would have had her own show. Like she was on it. I mean, she just, she had it going on and she was so much fun in the kitchen. She taught me confidence in the kitchen. She wasn't afraid to try anything. I think that they both are looking down and going, this is good. You mentioned some of these recipes, you know, in the book that are special to you, but what are the ones that like are at every family gathering? You know, if you guys are having something, what's that dish that's always there? I think it changes a little bit. I mean, there's the traditional mm -hmm. meals like Thanksgiving and Christmas, but I think things that were very traditional in my family, like chicken pot pie, comfort food for sure. And then spinning that in the new book into a chicken pot pie burger, that that's now kind of become oh. the, new, <laughs> the new tradition. So it's like all the things that go in the burger, you saute the vegetables and you put it in the ground chicken, you make the burger and then you put it on a bun. And then the sauce is a gravy that is what would be in the pie. It tastes just like a chicken pot pie, oh my gosh. but it's a burger. And I wonder sometimes I'm like, okay, this is, this is what I had growing up, but not. And I wonder what my mom would think of that. But I think she, I think she would approve. I think she would too. <laughs> you mentioned comfort food, which is obviously, you know, a big part of your cooking, your recipes. What does comfort food mean to you? Comfort food is whatever that is for you, you know, so people, I think a lot of times associate comfort food and decadent food as the same thing. And also Southern food as being more decadent, but it really is. You taught, you were talking about Montana and how you grew up in your family. We all have those memories and we all have that thing that our mom made or our grandmother made or our dad made that brings us comfort. And, and when my parents were still living and I, I moved to Nashville and I missed home and I missed her cooking, that's really when I learned to cook because if you, I could make her dishes and they tasted like hers, that was comforting to me. So I think it's different for everybody, but to me, it really truly is the definition of the word. It's whatever makes you feel good. It's whatever that, whatever that dish is that comforts you. I think it's the best part about food is that, you know, it's the one thing that we, you know, we all have in common. We can connect with each other. And and even those comfort dishes, if if it's the same dish, it's still slightly different, you know, because your your mom might have, you know, added almonds to this casserole or whatever the case may be. And so we all might have the same comfort food dishes, but they're all slightly different, which is why it's so fun to collect cookbooks as well. Who do you test your recipes on when you're developing them for a cookbook? My neighbors, my friends, my husband, for sure. Garth is really yeah. a great 
food critic because he will be honest. At first, you don't want that. You want I want him <laughs> to say, oh, everything you make is so amazing. But the truth is you want feedback, especially if you're working on new things. Usually if he makes a comment about a dish, I will instantly get mad. But then I think about it and I'm like, he's right about that. It needs more whatever. It needs more salt or pepper or texture. He's a big texture guy. But I love it because if he really loves something, he can't even speak really. Like it's the yummy sounds, right? So you know you've got a winner there. So I trust him because I know that he's going to tell me the truth. He's been your food critic from day one, right? This is Told true. you to, to lighten up the fettuccine <laughs> Alfredo. <laughs> That's right. What are some of your must-have kitchen tools that that make you know cooking easy and make your recipes really easy as well? The the first thing I learned when I first started doing the show was a sharp knife. I'm like most people that cook. I don't take my knives to get them sharpened. I just I just cook and I've used the same knives forever. And when I first started doing the show, I would cut myself on camera a lot because mm. <laughs> because I was used to having to saw into a tomato, right? So the, they said, you guys, you need to get your knives sharpened. So when the knives for the show went to get sharpened, I sent my personal home knives with them. <laughs> it makes it easier to do your job in the kitchen. And it's worth, you know, people are always like, man, I'm not going to pay more than like, you know, 10 bucks for a knife. It's like one really good knife is all you need. One really good chef's knife will get you through you can make anything. I really do believe that. And then as far as I don't do a lot of gadgets in the kitchen, I don't like a lot of appliances sitting around, but I do love an electric mixer. And that's my mother had one in the corner of her kitchen and she made a lot of cakes and she even pulled her meatloaf together in the mixer and cookie back. You know, there's so many things that that the mixer makes life easier for. That's my go-to gift. You know, when people send me like a wedding invitation, like you're getting a mixer, like you just need, you just need one. <laughs> Coming up, Trisha gives us the inside scoop on Trisha's Southern Kitchen and reveals her favorite food spots in Nashville. You mentioned the show, Trisha's Southern Kitchen, where we've seen a lot of your home cooking for, I mean, almost a decade now. Let's go back to the beginning. I mean, what sparked the idea you know, to become a, a Food Network star in addition to a country music star. How did the show come to be? Well, the, the first book, honestly, uh, when I moved to Oklahoma to be with Garth, I stopped touring, really. I mean, I was helping him raise three daughters and, you know, I needed to be there if I was going to do that. And so I really started to write the book with my mom and my sister as a way to be creative in a different way. I really had no idea that it would be a success. I really just had no idea. After that, I'm like, well, there won't be a second book because we put all the recipes in the first book. <laughs> but then we kind of widened the net. And we did more like a family reunion book and all those things that my aunts and uncles and cousins brought to family reunions, which are great, went in that second book. And around that time was when we started getting some asks about maybe doing a show. And honestly, I remember saying, I don't think that would be fun. Like, I feel like telling people to add the butter is like not my thing. Like, I just don't know. Like, that's what I want to do. <laughs> and I met with a producer who said, your books tell the story of your family. You can tell that story however you want to. And I said, well, I'd do better if I can interact with somebody else because I'm an entertainer. I'm not, I don't want to be in the kitchen by myself. So if I can have my sister on and my friends on, that would be fun. I think that would be fun. And I remember the first season was six episodes. And I remember saying, well, if I do six and I don't like it, <laughs> can, I, <laughs> can I not do any more? And uh, they're like, okay. I don't think you might ever ask them that before, but I, I loved it. It was fun. It was really fun. And I learned a lot. I mean, that was a real learning curve because I'd done a lot of performing, but I'd never done anything like that kind of television show, you know, and as, and we're 17 seasons. We do about two a year. As long as it's fun, you know, I, I hope I get to keep doing it. 
What is your favorite part about filming? I think it's the people, you know, honestly, it's like, we have a pretty loyal crew. So we have guys that work on and gals that work on a lot of other shows, but this is like camp because we, we, we don't take anything too seriously. We laugh a lot. <laughs> we have a lot of fun. There's a lot of love and respect on this set. So I think people look forward to the couple of weeks, three weeks that it takes to shoot a season. That's my favorite part is getting back together with, you know, hair, makeup and wardrobe and Michelle and Jenny in the kitchen who are culinary goddesses. And it's just a good vibe. So I, I just look forward to the camaraderie. Hardest thing about the pandemic for me was that, you know, we didn't shoot for a year and a half and we, we shot oh, this wow. new season in July and it was just so great to just be with everybody and to see everybody. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have said that, that we've had on the podcast, just the, the crew becomes really your family, which I think is, uh, you know, says a lot about the approach you and Food Network has to creating these types of shows. And you mentioned, you know, the friends, the family, fellow country music stars uh, get to come on and cook with you. Do you have a favorite guest of all time or is that too, too hard to ask? It is a, t- it is a tough ask, but I, I mean, I have a lot of favorites. I mean, my favorite guest in the kitchen is my sister only because she and I have the exact same memories. And it's so easy with her because mm-hmm. we've been in the kitchen together our whole lives. I had Reba on once and I love Reba and she mm-hmm. doesn't cook much. She's will tell you that, <laughs> but she was willing and she's, you know, she's game to do anything. And I remember how nervous she made the crew because I asked her to slice some apples or potatoes, I think for a casserole. And she's just, she's just slicing and dicing. And I think they were like, don't do a close up on her hands. Something's going to go terribly wrong here, but she did fine. She did fine, <laughs> but she was just fun. You know, it, when you have somebody in the kitchen, who's, also an entertainer and they're used to, you know, knowing about that energy you need to have in the kitchen. It's fun. Jeff Morrow um, is one of my favorite guests to have on the show. He's been on several times. That guy is so fun. Like the outtakes are my favorite part with him because it's just always over the top and fun. He wrote us a song for the podcast when we had him on. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of music involved when, when Jeff's on. Yes, as he well, writes I'm me sure. a song every time he comes on the show. He does. Okay, so I should I shouldn't feel that special then. Well, yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> Do you have a dream guest that you haven't had on yet? Well, we talked about Cher earlier. I think Cher. Yeah. I think Cher needs to come on the show. No, she would be great. Anyone else? I don't know. I've been pretty lucky so far. I don't know. There's. I mean, there's a ton of people I'd love to have on the show. I just. I don't know. I'm, I'm blanking. You should be on the show. Okay. I'm in. I'm in. I mean, I'll be like in Nashville knocking at your door, you know, with just that invitation. So we we talked a lot about recipes from the book. Do you have a recipe from the show that is an all time favorite or are there just too many that to come through in your in your mind? When you said that, what came to my head into my head was we did a Halloween special a few a couple years ago and we made the craziest food. And there was this we made this pizza tentacle like creature coming out of this bucket for one of the dishes. And Everything had a scare to it. And they looked like I had to con- I had to try to convince the viewer like these taste amazing because they were kind of like <laughs> calzones, but we had stuffed them with cheese that we had dyed green. So when you slice okay. into it, it's green. And then we put little mini pepperonis on top for tentacles. So they just kind of looked oh, weird. That's really cool. But they tasted really, really good. I like that. Any funny moments or, or bloopers you can share from behind the scenes? Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, most of them we've shown. (laughs) (laughs) They're just the best. I had my, sometimes my friends who work on the show end up getting roped into being a guest. And we have a, usually have the glam squad who I do a lot of stuff with on in in an episode almost every season. And the guy who does my hair, his name is Earl and, and his husband's name is James. And they came on the show. And while we were, we were doing an outside like glamping episode in the backyard. And while we were 
working in the kitchen on something else, they were outside shooting some B-roll and, and James got in this hammock we had set up. And the minute he got in the hammock, he just flipped out and he actually hurt, he actually hurt himself, which I should not be laughing about. And (laughs) and so they wouldn't show him because he scraped his elbow and whatever, but I convinced them in the repacks, we did sort of a best of for this time that we were all at home. And I said, you got to put that, you got to show that blooper of him falling out of the hammock. So we did. I love that. Uh, well, you film in Nashville, where, of course, uh, as you've mentioned, you've lived for quite a while now. Obviously, it's known for country music, but what else makes Nashville so special? You know, what's really cool about Nashville, since I've lived here, we've gotten two professional sports teams that, I mean, we had minor league baseball, which is awesome. We have the Nashville Sounds, but we got the Titans and then we got the Nashville Predators, the hockey team. So mm-hmm. this town has become really a cool sports town to be in. And I'm a big fan of both of those teams. So it's really fun to get it to go. It's, there's always something to do here. Nashville also has a lot of different kinds of music. You know, there is country music, but there is mm-hmm. also any kind of music you like, you can find here. And it's also got one of the most highly acclaimed hospitals, Vanderbilt's here. So like, there's just a lot. It's a it's a great place to live. And a great food scene as well, which has kind of been coming into its own, I, I feel like, over the last five years or so. Uh, what are some of your go-to food spots there? Well, when I moved here, we didn't even have a Starbucks, you know, like it was <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, there was really, when I moved here, we had the Pancake Pantry, which was a breakfast spot, but you could get breakfast all day. It's still one of my favorite spots. It's still here and it's still in business. Those are kind of my favorites are kind of the places that have survived because we're, we're truly a growing city. And there is so much, so much good to do here. Nashville hot chicken is a thing, but there's a place Mm -hmm. that was the original hot chicken called Princess Hot Chicken. Still my go-to for if I'm going to do hot chicken, that's where I want to go. So I guess my my favorite places are sort of the older places. There's a I love it. There's a place here called 404 Kitchen. They inspired a cheesy skillet cornbread that's in this new book. They do individual cornbreads that are amazing. You could go every night of the week out and not hit all the new places. There's so much. There's so much. Kane Prime has a candied bacon that is served with cotton candy. I can't even talk wow. about it. It's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love that your your favorite spot is still one from, you know, back in the day. What, what is your order at the at the pancake place? Is it pancakes? It's pancakes, yeah, because it's a it's a big stack of pancakes and always a side of bacon because I got to have salt okay. and sweet together. I agree. And and also you always just have to have bacon. Well, in general. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm in Nashville for a day, I only have 24 hours. What's the itinerary? Is there sports and food and, and music? What is the ideal Nashville itinerary for the day? When I moved to town, Broadway was really not happening, but now it's the place to be. And even though you don't want to hang out all night at a bar and in Broadway, you probably need to go down there and see the scene. And it's right next to the arena where you can watch a hockey game. I mean, I grew up in Georgia, didn't play hockey, not really a big hockey fan, but <laughs> once the Predators came, there's such a, I've never heard a crowd louder than a pred- at a Predators game. There's such fun games. They're very audience participation games. We have to go to a game. And then if we have time, I would probably take you out to the Loveless Cafe. It's a little dry, but these women make over 200 homemade biscuits every morning. They're, wow. It's all home cooked country ham. It's like, a, it's like the true country place to go eat. And it's beautiful. All right. That sounds like a pretty solid uh, itinerary. I'm I'm already uh, plotting my next trip. <laughs> this has been so much fun. We're going to wrap things up with some rapid fire questions. And then we want, have one final question for you. Okay. All right. So favorite Southern phrase. Bless your heart. <laughs> we all know what that really means. <laughs> I, for, for anyone that doesn't know, what does that mean? <laughs> it's it's not a compliment. Usually it's like, oh, bless his heart. It means you're yeah. you're dumb or you're wrong or you're just not. <laughs> like, it's not a compliment. 
Just know that it's a it's a great one though. I love it. Still said with a smile. Always, and, you know. Oh, bless yeah. his heart. <laughs> Fried or baked cornbread? Uh, baked. Okay. Favorite Garth Brooks song? Papa loved Mama. I know it's like it's not it's not the romantics ballad. It's not, but it's I love it. It's fun, and I sang on it, so that's why it was the number one record. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> of course, obviously. Grits or oatmeal? I feel like I already know the answer. Yeah, grits for sure. <laughs> Favorite collaborator in your career so far? Glenn, I have to say Garth, um, but two would be Don Henley. Favorite Southern dessert? Um, lemon meringue pie. You have a recipe for that in, in, in any of the books? I do. I think it's in the second book. I forget which ones they're in, but yes, it, it, it's a really good one. Favorite Food Network show besides your own? Oh, I lo- oh it's a tie between the kitchen and also anything Guy Fieri. Like, like if you travel and cook, I want to see where you're going and what you're doing. I think that's a that's a fan favorite for sure as well. So our final question that we ask all of our guests on Food Network Obsessed, uh, what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we want to know, you know, what you're eating for breakfast and lunch, dinner, dessert. You can throw in some snacks if you want. You don't have to. You can time travel. You can just regular <laughs> travel like supersonic jets. There are no rules. It's your day and uh, we want to hear about it. Okay. I mean, in real life, my day starts with coffee and that's it. And as long as I have coffee, to, I don't really need anything else to live. How do you take your coffee? Just cream. It used to not even be warm. I would use so much stuff in it that it wasn't even hot by the time I finished with all the <laughs> cream and sugar, but I've graduated to just a little bit of cream. But if I was going to have breakfast, I would definitely have, there's this breakfast burger that I've been doing lately. It's in the new book that has maple pork in it and also ground beef. And then it's on wow. a French toast bun and it has avocado and some it has some maple butter on it. It's just so decadent. You really wouldn't need to eat again, but I would eat again. <laughs> I'm not really a snacker, so I would go straight to dinner. And uh, my go-to dinner is is something my mom was always Sunday lunch for us after church, and it's slow-cooked roast beef. And she would make, instead of mashed potatoes and gravy, she'd make rice and gravy. And so that's a thing for me. Probably bacon-wrapped asparagus bundles and a homemade biscuit. That's all I need. Oh, a big glass of sweet tea. And that's all I need in life. That's all you need yeah. in life. Are you are you having dessert or? Yeah, if I was going to have dessert, I'd probably do double stuffed brownies, um, which was something oh. I dreamed up last year when I tried to figure out what went inside the Oreo. And I'm like, why don't you put that between two brownies? That's what we did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that sounds very decadent and very perfect for your food day. Thank you so much for the stories, for the conversation. Best of luck with the brand new cookbook and, of course, the new season of of the show. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you. It was fun. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but my country music heart is singing right now, and I also have a craving for a chicken pot pie burger. That sounded insane. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Trisha. You can catch her on the newest season of Trisha's Southern Kitchen on Food Network, Saturdays at 12, 11 Central, and you can catch up on past seasons on Discovery+. Plus. Also, be sure to pick up a copy of her brand new cookbook, Trisha's Kitchen, Easy Comfort Food for Friends and Family, out now. Thanks so much for listening and make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We do love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday. 